All right, how's everybody doing tonight? Or today, I should say. How's everybody doing today? Hey, this is Michael M. Hotel, founder of the African History Network, host of the African History Network show. So this is a special broadcast of the African History Network show. You know, I do uh, my show on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation on uh, Sundays, uh, 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And uh, we had a good show on Sunday. Uh, now, we should be on Facebook Live. I want to check my audio, make sure everything's all right on Facebook also. How's everybody doing? All right. Um, and then we're broadcasting on Crowdcast also. So uh, a few things I want to talk about because I didn't get a chance to get into this on uh, on my show on Sunday night. Um, there was an article that I saw from uh, Huffington Post Black Voices. Huffington Post Black Voices. Okay, so we have audio. There was an article I saw from Huffington Post Black Voices that talked about the show Dear White People. Dear White People. All right. That's on Netflix. Right. So we know it was a movie that uh, came out in uh, 2014 and uh, it takes place on a fictitious, predominantly white campus. And it deals with the um, uh, the campus life of uh, non-Europeans, people of color, especially African-Americans. Right. And there was an article from Huffington Post Black Voices from May 22nd, 2017, entitled Dear White People, Director and Star Breakdown, Why Black People Can't Be Racist. They break down why black people can't be racist, right? So um, I, I checked out that video. I wanted to talk a little bit about that. And then I'm going to deal with um, understanding uh, racism from a historical perspective, because oftentimes, when on uh, uh, maybe on CNN, MSNBC, uh, things like this, especially Fox News Network. Um, a lot of times when they talk about racism or they have these conversations about either racism or race. And when you hear radio shows that deal with this, uh, oftentimes they don't ever define from a historical perspective what racism is. So it's very hard to fight what you don't understand. And this is what's happening. OK, oftentimes they don't talk about white supremacy. And when you hear different radio shows and I've been doing radio for seven years, um, when you hear different radio shows, they'll say we need to have a conversation about race. We need to have a conversation about race. Well, the real conversation that needs to be had and the real understanding is not about race. It's about racism. It's not about race. It's about racism. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. So I've written articles about this and uh, a lot of, you know, I'm in documentaries. You see my shirt, Black Friday. I'm in the documentary Black Friday. What legacy will you leave from director uh, Rick Mathis? I'm also uh, in uh, uh, documentary Resurrecting Black Wall Street, the blueprint from uh, Dr. Boyce Watkins and your black world films and director Dorian Chandler and elementary genocide. Part three is about to come out from uh, director uh, Raheem Shabazz. I'm in that one also. So we're going to talk some about this. Right. Uh, why black people can't be racist. We're going to do with this from a historical perspective. Uh, I'll do it. Some of the articles that I've written as well, dealing with this uh, issue. Um, also, I want to talk a little bit about uh, there have been uh, nooses found in Washington, D.C., one in the Smithsonian 
uh, African-American Smithsonian Museum, others in the Washington, D.C. area. OK, and since the um, election of Donald Trump uh, by the Electoral College, because keep in mind, he lost the popular vote by three million votes. Right. Uh, he's the first Russian president of the United States since the since the election of the first Russian president of the United States. White supremacists have been emboldened. White supremacists have been emboldened. So the Southern Poverty Law Center documents an unusually uh, high amount of uh, racial incidents since November 8th, 2016. So we'll talk a little bit about that. And then also, you know, I did a broadcast a few days ago about the TV show Underground that was on WGN being canceled because WGN's parent company, Tribune Media, has been purchased by Sinclair Media and uh in the 3.9 billion dollar deal and Sinclair media is more right-wing leaning okay so they canceled the tv show underground we're going to talk a little bit more about that and we'll do an overview of uh the online class that i teach ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa Understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, how's it? How's, how's everybody doing today? Can everybody hear me all right? Uh, we have Candace Alexander, Donna Jean uh, Dorman, uh, Lorenzo, Leslie. How, how's everybody doing? Uh, and I'm going to do a, I'm, I'm going to do a special um, session of my class that I teach, uh, the online class I teach, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We'll do a special session of the class Monday, June 5th, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Monday, June 5th, 7.30 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. So you'll be able to register uh, for that online course, and you can uh, watch the uh, – uh, previous classes that we did. We just had an excellent class Friday and um, uh, it's normally meets on Fridays. Everything is uh, we do it live. All the sessions are recorded. So as soon as you register for the online course, you can watch the uh, previous four sessions. OK, and this is a six week, 12 hour online course normally meets on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We just posted a link there. You can register for that. The full class is only forty dollars. Um, the session we did this past Friday, June 2nd, uh, you can register for that one class is ten dollars. If you register for that class, you'll be able to watch the class on uh, Monday that we do Monday, June 5th also. All right. So everybody share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in as well. Okay, so this article from um, uh, Huffington Post Black Voices, May 22nd, 2017. Dear white people, director and star breakdown why black people can't be racist. And they talked about some other things. They dealt with um, double standards. They talked about uh, using the N word, things like this. Some of the things I disagree with, I think they need to study history more, but I want to zero in on this topic here. Okay, so the, the, the TV show, um, Dear White People is on uh, Netflix. OK, it's original programming from Netflix. It's an adaptation of the 2014 film by the same name. Now, it's directed. The show is directed by Justin Simeon. OK, and the show uh, takes place on a fictional, uh, uh, predominantly white campus. Uh, it's called Winchester University is the name of the university. Interesting name, Winchester University. Now, Justin Simeon. Uh, crafted a season filled with diverse portrayals of black experience uh, on campus and is told through the lens of several students on campus 
uh, that speak to the varied ways people of color are impacted by race. Okay. Uh, now, what happened was uh, they did a, a, a about a five minute uh, interview, and they talked about some different topics. Logan Browning, who we saw on the TV show, um, uh, we saw her on the TV show uh, Meet the Browns. Okay, uh, Logan Browning stars in the um, in, in in the uh, TV show, and I think she was in the movie as well. Uh, I think she was in the movie also, uh, Dear White People. All right, now. Um, so uh, I'm going to go to this clip here in just a minute. I'm trying to cue it up because I had to restart my browser. Uh, I want you to see what they talked about. And then what we're going to do, I'm going to share some historical information dealing dealing with racism and white supremacy and understanding to 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 deal with why African-Americans can't be racist. We first have to clearly define from a historical perspective what racism is okay we first have to clearly define from a historical perspective what racism is okay so we're going to cue that up uh, uh, everybody watching share this broadcast on your own facebook page invite your friends to tune in as well we'll go to some of your comments here in just a minute we have nicole uh nicole said we can't be racist by definition because we don't control the money flow the lending process the government etc okay um so let me go to this clip here let me see where are we here all right here we go all right so let's try to uh bring this up i want you to see this here reverse racism when a white person gets their feelings hurt by a joke that a black person might make about white people okay all right you know, they people got feelings, Logan. They have that. I understand. Feelings. I understand. <laughs> Is this a double standard that black people can be subjugated to racism and white people can't? Right. Well, I mean, I think you have to start by understanding that black people can't be racist. Mm. Black people can be prejudiced. They yes. can be biased, but they can't be racist. And why is that? Tell me. Well, what is racism? Racism is the oppressed oppression of a marginalized group in a society that's based on white supremacy. Well, MBD. I'm sorry. <laughs> you, if you are a white person, then you naturally benefit from white privilege. Anyone can hate somebody because of what race they are. And bigotry is really awful. But the thing is, racism, like you said, it's systemic. It's baked into our society. Yeah. Y'all ain't oppressed. I'm sorry. By yeah. the way, it's not as good as it sounds. You don't want to be oppressed. <laughs> yeah, why? Why do you want this thing? This yeah. thing that's, that's caused us to be murdered and yeah. why do why do you want this so badly so you know what i guess you're saying and what i think i'm saying too is when it comes to racism there really is no double standard there is no double standard okay so um that was from um the article dear white people director and star breakdown why black people can't be racist there were other topics they talked about they dealt, dealt with a few different topics there in that uh that, that five minute clip okay uh so let me bring me back on here okay there we go all right so i want to deal with this from a historical perspective because many of our people are totally confused and if you do not understand european white supremacy and racism what it is and how it works everything else that you think that you understand would totally confuse you. Everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. Now I'm going to bring up, uh, 
um, a PowerPoint presentation. And when we, and when I teach the online course, uh, I use a PowerPoint presentation. We use video clips, everything. It's a visual, um, it's a visual presentation here. Okay. All right. So let me uh, flip over here. All right. How's everybody doing? Let's do turn the screen share on. Okay, so that's coming up. All right, so first of all, we have to understand that racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race. Racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race, okay? And we're gonna go to this here. So let me scroll through to the part that I want. Uh, okay, let's turn this on now. Duplicate. There we go. All right. Let me get to and I've written articles about this. Uh, you can read all of my articles at AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can read all of my articles there. Uh, just click on the link on the home page. Read articles by Michael M. Hotep. Uh, OK, so we talk about Dr. Francis Cress Welsing. Understanding European white supremacy and racism, uh, Dr. Wilson and Nilly Fuller taught us if you do not understand European white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works, everything else. And I do mean everything else that you think that you understand will totally confuse you. Uh, we have to understand uh, racism as it manifests itself throughout the nine areas of human activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex and war economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival on a planet that's less than 10% European. You have to understand history to understand this, all right? So let's deal with this briefly here, okay? All right, if you read pages three through seven of Poweronomics by Dr. Claude Anderson, he talks about the origin of the term race and how and how the term race means group. And the concept of race is going to evolve over a 300 year period of time. OK, over the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries, over the 16th, 17th and 18th centuries. OK, racism is a power structure. Racism has nothing to do with not liking people. All right. Racism has nothing to do with not liking people. Racism occurs when one race of people control the majority of the wealth, power, resources, privileges, benefits, land, access to education, access to opportunity, money, uh, access to jobs, etc. media. And they use this to marginalize, subordinate and do harm to another race of people. Raci racism is a power structure. It comes out of the ideology of white supremacy. OK. Some people say white supremacy and racism are the same thing. I don't think they're the same thing. From my research, they're not the same thing. White supremacy is the mother that gave birth to the child as racism. So the concept of, of, of white supremacy uh, is going to evolve uh, as Europeans come out of the Dark Ages. So we know that the Moors go into Europe, 711 AD, 8th century. They're in Europe. Uh, they occupy Europe 800 years. We know that they're going to bring Europe out of the Dark Ages. Now, the Moors are African people, descendants of the Garamantes coming from North Africa, Northwest Africa. They're taking the teachings from ancient Egypt, ancient Kemet into Europe as, as they're bringing Europe out of the Dark Ages, introducing alchemy or what we call chemistry, introducing nautical instruments, uh, introducing uh, spherical globes, almanacs, all different types of things like this. Right. Uh, so. As and, and and 
as Europeans start to circumnavigate the globe, the Moors reintroduce the concept of longitude and latitude. Europeans see that the majority of the world is not European. And now the, the Moors are going to intermix with the population. The Moors men are going to the Moors men are going to have sex with white women. And, and, and Europeans see that their offspring is no longer white. OK, and as they start to circumnavigate the globe in the 15th century, we see Prince Henry the Navigator in 1419 sending ships around the West Coast of Africa. In 1441, they're going to start picking up African slaves, taking them back to Portugal. OK, we see Columbus in 1482, 10 years before he set sail, August 3rd, 1492, on the Nina de and Santa Maria. We see Columbus in 1482 sailing around the West Coast of Africa and picking up African slaves as well. OK, so. We, we uh, you, you, you're going to see Europeans because of their belief in manifest destiny, because they believe that they are superior. You're going to see a rise in European culture. You're going to see cultural imperialism. You're going to see a, a rise in the European phenotype as Europeans start to conquer people's lands. We see uh, Columbus, August 3rd, 1492, set sail on the Nina, the Penta, and Santa Maria. October 12th, he lands in San Salvador or the Bahamas. We see them start to extract wealth from people's land, subjugate people, enslave them, etc. And, 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 and Europe is trying to rebuild itself after having lost one quarter to one third of their population due to the bubonic plague, which hits Europe and spurts the Black Death. 1347 to 1400, Europe loses between 25 million to 75 million people, between one quarter to one third of their population. So what's going to happen is that because of things like manifest destiny, because they think that their God gives them the right to go to other people's lands, conquer their lands, steal their wealth, etc., you're going to have things like the Doctrine of Discovery of 1452, the Papal Bulls of 1455, where the Pope tells Spain and Portugal, you good Christian nations, stop fighting amongst yourselves. I order you to reduce the servitude all infidel people. You're going to have the Treaty of Tordesillas of, of June of 1494, um, where the Pope divides the non-Christian world between Spain and Portugal and sends them out. Spain and Portugal to, to conquer the non-Christian world because Spain and Portugal, the Portuguese were the first ones involved in the transatlantic slave trade. They're going to dominate for the first 200 years from 1440 to from about 1440 to, to, to 1640. The Spanish were quickly behind them. And Columbus, on his four voyages going into Central America, South America and the Caribbean, uh, uh, going into what we call Jamaica and Haiti and Puerto Rico and Cuba and Panama and Honduras, things like this, opening up these open, opening up the so-called new world to other European nations that come in. Europeans are fighting one another over this land. So you're going to have a rise in the European phenotype. You're going to have, uh, Europeans start to take, uh, African images and, decolorize them and turn them European. We see this with uh, uh, the Jesus with, with uh, Jesus and Mary, because the letter J didn't even exist in 1630 AD. The letter J is derived from the letter I. The letter J did not exist in 1630 AD. So you're going to have this take place. And so white supremacy is an ideology. Now, white supremacy, a lot of people say, well, we shouldn't say the term white supremacy because this teaches our children that Europeans are superior. No, white supremacy is an ideology. 
that Europeans think that they are superior. White supremacy does not mean that Europeans are superior. It's a belief that Europeans, some Europeans, not, not all, not all Europeans subscribe to white supremacy, but a lot of them, are, a lot of them do. A lot of them were Donald Trump supporters and, and are Donald Trump supporters. A lot of them sit up, a lot of Donald Trump supporters sit up and watch Fox News all day. Okay. And they're being lied to by Fox News and don't know this. Okay. So, um, so white supremacy, as I say, is a false concept that has real consequences and repercussions. White supremacy is a false concept that has real consequences and repercussions. The power structure of racism comes from that ideology follows in line that ideology that belief of white supremacy so racism once again is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race racism is a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race racism has nothing to do with not liking people that's not racism that's bigotry okay we can true we, we confuse racism bigotry and prejudice and discrimination Racism has nothing to do with not liking people, calling people racial epithets, things like that. Now, somebody can be a bigot and subscribe to white supremacy and racism at the same time. But we have to be clear on what we're dealing with. So we see the foundation of racism in this country. We can go back to 1638. One of the cornerstones of racism in this country was called the Doctrine of Exclusion in 1638 in the colony of Maryland. And the doctrine of exclusion stated that Negroes should never be permitted to enjoy the fruits of white society. Negroes should never be permitted to enjoy the fruits of white society. It's later going to be expanded around 1665 to state that Negroes should uh, or, or black people, or African people should be relegated to a non-compensated, non-competitive managed workforce for the express comfort building of white society. OK. And Dr. Claude Anderson in Black Label White Wealth. He deals with this, the doctrine of exclusion, 1638 in the colony of Maryland. All right. And Europeans are operating out of white supremacy. Now, if we look at if we look at the book uh, before the Mayflower, this is one of the books we use in, in, the, in the online course. Now, you don't have to buy any of these books uh, to understand what I'm talking about uh, in our online course, uh, Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa. But you hear me reference some of these books just like. Uh, uh, the first Americans were Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. OK, but it's important for us to understand what we're dealing with, because a lot of times people are afraid to say white supremacy. But you have to be able to clearly define what you're talking about. All right. Because when you look at um, most of Donald Trump supporters as white supporters, they voted for white supremacy and racism and misogyny. That's why they voted for. Them. OK, we have to be clear on this. Um. That's why they voted for him. And the studies have come out to document this as well. Now, some the Atlantic, the Atlantic had an article that said they were driven by cultural anxiety. Another term for cultural anxiety is white supremacy. That's another term for cultural anxiety because they wanted white culture to be dominant culture because they didn't have cultural anxiety because the cultural anxiety they had was not against Italian culture. It was not against German culture. It was not against French culture. It was not against uh, Spanish culture coming from Spain. The cultural anxiety they had was coming from Hispanics. Mexicans were targeted. Hispanics, uh, Asians, some uh, Muslims, which is not an ethnic group, but it's religion. But you're dealing with white supremacy. This is what this was all driven by. OK, so if we look at page 40 of the sixth edition 
of before the mayflower by Lerone bennett jr okay excellent excellent book all right he talks about the term he talks about the names that african people had when europeans came when when the english settlers came to the land we call the united states of america so we know they go they, they land in jamestown virginia 1607 right this is before the pilgrims come in 1620 it's before the pilgrims come from from plymouth england in 1620. so he says of all the improbable aspects of this situation the oddest the the sorry the the oddest to modern blacks and whites is that white people did not seem to know that they were white so he's talking about in the 17th century in the 1600s here in the land that they we call the united states he's talking about in the english colonies white people did not seem to know that they were white he said it appears from surviving evidence that the first white colonists had no concept of themselves as white people because historically they they weren't considered they didn't they did not classify themselves as white okay this is going to come later on the legal documents identified whites as englishmen and or christians so we talk about in the english colonies historically in the english colonies here in the u.s historically europeans didn't call themselves white they, they referred themselves as englishmen or christians the word white with its burden of arrogance and biological pride developed late in the century as a direct result of slavery and the organized debasement of blacks okay so towards the end of the 17th century the 1600s towards the end of the 17th century 1600s um you're going to have um the term white created because there was a uh revolt that took place between enslaved african people and uh english indentured servants they united there was a revolt fighting against those who were uh, uh subjugating both of them oppressing both of them and they almost defeated their oppressors so you're going to have these englishmen trying to drive a wedge between them so they're going to create the term white to separate these indentured servants from the enslaved africans to bring them onto the team of whiteness to bring them onto their team of whiteness okay this is this is what happens so the word white with this burden of arrogance and biological pride developed late in the century as a direct result of slavery and the organized debasement of blacks the same point can be made from the other side of the line the same point can be made from the other side of the line for a long time in colonial america there was no legal name to focus white anxiety so the term black was not originally used for african people the term black became a term so so black didn't just start being used in the 1960s i know we adopted the term as black coming out of the black power movement coming from uh, moving from the term negro in color okay and, and while we're on this topic just so we understand the term african-american was not created by jesse jackson 1988 1989 we need to stop telling that stupid ass nonsense that's not true the first recorded usage of the term african-american goes back to may 15 1782 in philadelphia pennsylvania 
the first recorded usage of the term African-American goes back to May 15, 1782 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Jesse Jackson did not create the term African-American. He reintroduced the term African-American. We all understand our history. If you read the article that I wrote, um, uh, Whoopi, Whoopi Goldberg and Raven Simone are wrong about the term African-American. You read that article, Whoopi Goldberg and Raven Simone are wrong about the term African-American. Uh, you can read all my articles at yourblackworld.net. You read that article. I deal with the history of the term African-American going back to May 15, 1782 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The term Afro-American goes back to the 1830s. That didn't start in the 1960s. Because the because the first civil rights organization was the Afro-American League founded in 1892, the, the, sorry, the National Afro-American Council, that National Afro-American League, 1892, National Afro-American League, 1892. Then in 1898, you're going to have the Afro-American Council founded by uh, Bishop, Ale uh, Bishop Alexander Walters and T. Thomas Fortune. OK, and you're going to have the. Afro-American newspaper founded in Baltimore in 18 around 1882. OK, so the term Afro-American did not start in the 1960s. We have to study our history. All right. Now, for a long time, in the, once again, page 40 of Before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr. OK, page 40. Uh, this is the this is the sixth edition. If you have a later edition, maybe a different page, but it's in the chapter called. Uh, it's in the first chapter. I think this is the first chapter. It's in the second chapter. Second chapter is called Before the Mayflower. For a long time in colonial America, there was no legal, there was no legal name to focus white anxiety. Okay. The first blacks were called Blackamores, Moors, Nagers, N-E-G-E-R-S, and Nagars, N-E-G-A-R-S, Nagars. Coming from Inger, Negus, Negusti, Nagar. These were symbol, symbols, these were titles of nobility. Okay, Negusti, uh, 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 Negas, uh, Negus, things like this. Uh, these are Ethiopian terms. Um, but these are terms of nobility. They get corrupted when they get dropped into European language. They get corrupted um uh with the spanish and the portuguese things like this and these are going to become terms uh that are going to be put on the moors once they're conquered so when you study when you study uh the work from uh, dr jose pimenta bay who's one of our baddest scholars dealing with the history of the moors dr jose pimenta bay he has an essay in the book golden age of the moor which is edited by dr ivan van sertima and here we go is my copy of the book right here. Golden Age of the Moor. Get this book. Golden Age of the Moor, edited by Dr. Ivan Van Sertima. Okay. So um, Dr. Jose Pimenta Bay has an essay in this in this book. But what you're going to find is that um, so you, you're going to find that when the Moors are conquered, especially in Spain. The term negro is going to be put on them to signify that they have been conquered and some of them are going to be enslaved also. All right. So the first blacks were called blackamores, moors, nagars, uh, nagers, N-E-G-E-R-S, and nagars, N-E-G-A-R-S. The word negro 
or negro, N-E-G-R-O, a Spanish and Portuguese term for black, did not come into general use in Virginia until the latter part of the century. So they're talking about the latter part of the 17th century, the latter part of the 1600s, all right? The, the terms used for what we call collectively African people in, in were the, the, the terms that were being used were black Moors, Moors, Nagers, and Nagars. These were common terms, all right? And these were the, uh, for, for those who were being uh, enslaved, things like this, these were terms that were being used for them, okay? Um, let's see. As he continues, we'll continue with the next paragraph here. A similar course of development was roughly characteristic of New York when the black settlement preceded the English and the name New York, where, where the black settlement preceded the English and the, and the name New York. There are records from 1626 identifying 11 blacks, about 5% of the non-Indian population who were servants of the Dutch West Indian Company. So Europeans are going to organize themselves into slave trading companies, slave trading companies that are going to be financed by royalty, financed by Europeans with wealth and power. One of them was the Dutch West Indian Company. Okay. The 11 pioneers were males responding to the pleas of these males. The Dutch imported three women identified as Angolans in 1628. So check this out. Uh, before the Mayflower by Lerone Bennett Jr. Pages 41 and 40 and 41 of the uh, sixth edition. Okay. Now, if we get a better understanding of this, um, we're dealing with understanding, uh, racism as a system of advantage and privilege distributed based upon race okay and why um african-americans cannot be uh racist okay why african people cannot be racist all right so let's continue here um we're going to talk about Hannibal in Monday's class. This is one of the things we're going to talk about in Monday's class. We talk about Hannibal Barker and the Battle of Kanai in 216 BC. Okay. So be sure to register for the course. We'll deal with that. We're going to talk about some other things also, some things I could not get to in uh, Monday's class. All right. Um, I want to go to this clip here. Uh, this is a video that I put together uh, called white racism versus black racism. Most people are confused about what racism is. I wrote an article about this also. Um, but very quickly, when you deal with the uh, stratification of humanity into races, you're going to um, deal with uh, people like Dr. Johann Friedrich, Dr. Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, um, and Dr. Carl von Linnaeus. Now, Dr. Joy DeGruy talks about them in post-traumatic slave syndrome, post-traumatic slave syndrome, which is one of the books we use also. You don't have to buy any of these books to follow along in the course to understand anything like this, but these are good books to have for your per personal library because every African-American home has to have an education center. We have entertainment centers where we have the Wii's and the PlayStations and the Blu-ray DVD players and the flat screen TVs, but we have to have education centers where we have the books and the documentaries and the DVDs and the, atl and the, and the Atlas and the Globe and the Almanac and the Thesaurus, 
uh, dictionary, things like this. Okay. So we have to have uh, education centers in every African-American home also. All right. So she talks about Dr. Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, which a lot of people uh, aren't familiar with. Blumenbach coins the term um, Caucasian in 1779. And uh, he's going to stratify humanity into uh, five categories. Okay. And uh, Carl von Linnaeus, who's known as the father of modern taxonomy, okay, uh, he's going to stratify humanity into uh, four classifications. So he lives from, uh, he lives, uh, from 1707 to 1778, Dr. Carl von Linnaeus, all right? And what Linnaeus is going to do is uh, he's going to uh, uh, stratify humanity into races but then he's going to attach um, uh, moral and intellectual capabilities to these races, but it's not based upon anything scientific. Okay. And this is where a lot of, this is where a lot of the stereotypes of the African people come from. They're going to be, they're going to be codified and then ingrained into the culture ingrained into our society. All right. So, um, Carl von, uh, Carl von Linnaeus, who's known as the father of modern taxonomy and, uh, the classifications that we learn about in biology, classifying living things as kingdoms, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species that comes from Carl von Linnaeus. Okay. So, uh, panthers, tigers, jaguars, and leopards are classified as felines. This is coming from Carl von Linnaeus. Okay. This is, he's known as the father of modern taxonomy. We study him in high school biology. So what he does is, is he classifies humanity into uh, four classifications. You have Homo Americanus uh, that, that are classified as reddish, choleric, uh, choleric, obstinate, contented, and regulated by custom. You have Homo Europaeus. Homo Europaeus, referring to Europeans, uh, who are classified as white, fickle, sanguine, uh, blue-eyed, gentle, and governed by laws, governed by laws. You have Homo Asiaticus, who uh, is classified as sallow, grave, dignified, grave, dignified, um, and ruled by opinion. And you have Homo afer, A-F-E-R, which is another term of fear, Afra, another reference to African people. Okay. Uh, Homo of fear who are classified as black, phlegmatic, cunning, lazy, lustful, careless, and governed by caprice or governed by whim. Okay. Not governed by law, but governed by caprice or whim. Okay. So you hear cunning, lazy, lustful. When they say cunning, they don't mean intelligent. They mean cunning, doing something deceitful. So these, so he, he attaches moral and intellectual characteristics to the classification of race, but he has no scientific basis to justify this. Is operating based upon stereotypes, which then ingrains this further into the culture. All right. So then you, so that's Dr. Carl von Linnaeus. Then in 1779, Dr. Johann Friedrich Blumenbach, He's going to classify uh, uh, man into uh, uh, race 
into races. Uh, he has the Caucasian race, Mongolian, American, Ethiopian, and Malayan. Okay, Caucasian, Mongolian, American, Ethiopian, and Malayan. In 1779, he coins the term Caucasian. This is Dr. Johann Friedrich Blumenbach. He coins the term Caucasian, all right? And he named them after the Georgians who um, lived near Mount Caucasus, the Caucasus Mountains. And he said that these were the uh, uh, most beautiful people on the face of the earth, all right? I think you need to have his eyes checked, all right? Think you need to have his eyes checked now what's going to happen is and if you read pages uh uh 50 read pages 56 to uh 60 in post-traumatic slave syndrome by dr joy the group pages 56 to 60 post-traumatic slave syndrome by dr joy the group this is one of the books we use in our online course also ancient kemet the moors and the ma'a for understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school um, you can register for that online course if you like. We just post the link again. You can register. As soon as you register, you can watch the first four classes we've done. Uh, they're usually two hours each. I think one was three hours we did. It meets on Friday, 7 p.m. to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. All the sessions are recorded. If you miss any of it, not a problem. All the sessions are recorded. Um, the full course is only $40. It's a six weeks, 12-hour course. We're doing a special session on Friday. Oh, I'm sorry. On Monday, June 5th, 2017, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Because on last Friday's class, there was some information I didn't have time to get to. So we're going to do that uh, Monday, uh, June 5th. OK, so what Joy DeGru talks about here is that she says, despite the fact that both Linnaeus and Blumenbach had failed to produce a shred of scientific evidence to support their opinions, their ideas continue to be referenced in scientific communities throughout the Western world. OK, now, uh, given the widespread dissemination of these fallacious beliefs, it is not difficult to understand why belief in racial superiority took root in the 18th century and continues to exist today. So you have to understand a chronology of history dealing with this. All right. Now, Africans were among the many civilizations around the world who did not live up to European standards and so were considered inferior. They were inferior first because that now, according to Europeans, Africans were inferior first because they were not Europeans and second because they were not Christian. Thus, Africans were viewed as uh, impure, irreligious and uncivilized and fit to be slaves. They were viewed as impure irreligious or non-religious uncivilized and fit to be slaves but they don't understand that it was african people who civilized europeans it was the moors who go in and introduce soap into europe put in um sanitation systems in europe okay so everybody watching share this broadcast on your own facebook page invite your friends to tune in how's everybody doing this is michael m hotep founder of the african history network Host of the African History Network show. We have a special broadcast here. I did my show Sunday night on 9, 10 a.m. The Superstation. You may have seen the Facebook Live broadcast. Uh, there were some other things I did not get a chance to get to, so I wanted to cover that here now. And, and, and also, we're going to do a special broadcast. We're going to do a special session of my online course on uh, Monday, June 5th, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay, so I, I wrote an article 
called white racism versus black racism. Most people are confused about what racism is. White racism versus black racism. Most people are confused about what racism is. And in the article, I have the video that I'm going to show you. I have, uh, the video is like two and a half hours. I'm going to show you a clip of it here. Uh, but I talk about Dr. Johan Friedrich Blumenbach and uh, uh, Carl Valenaez. And I say racism, racism has absolutely nothing to do with hating or not liking someone. That is bigotry. If you don't know the difference, you should definitely watch this video. OK, uh, some people who don't understand history are still confused about what racism is and don't understand that racism is a group to group relationship. Racism is a group to group relationship. Uh, white people control about 90 percent of the wealth in America. Um, and as Tavis Smiley discussed in his new book, The Covenant with Black America, 10 years later on page 177, African-Americans control only one point two percent of the wealth in America. 1.2% of the wealth in America. We lost 53% uh, of our wealth due to the downturn in the housing industry. We lost over a trillion dollars worth of wealth. Racism is a power structure where one race uh, controls the majority of the wealth, power, resources, benefits, privileges, laws, courts, land, access to opportunity, education, and they use that power to control, marginalize, do harm to, and subordinate another race of people. That's what racism is, all right? African-Americans, we don't control enough of anything as a group of people to uh, do harm to white people as a group of people. OK, we don't have control over the laws, the wealth, the resources, the privileges, the benefits. Uh, it's a group to group relationship. It's not individual to group. It's a group to group relationship, not individual to group. OK. All right. So uh, let me show this clip here. This is Dr. Joy DeGruy, uh breaking this down. This is in the video that I. Uh, this is in the video that I put together. Let's see here. Okay, and everybody share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Uh, invite your friends to tune in also. All right, let's see here. This is where we want to. Is that where we want to go? This is where we want to go here. All right, let's go here. Okay. So this is Dr. Joy DeGruy, author of Post-Traumatic Slave Syndrome, explaining um, explaining uh, racism. Let's go to this clip. So again, a lot of people have an interesting concept of racism. Racism is also a word that everybody gets all twisted about. And I, and, I, and I teach a course, like I said, on, to graduate students on post-traumatic slave syndrome. Now let me explain something. I don't do race relations 101. I don't have time. Now I understand that there may even be people in this room that went, this is an interesting event. I'm gonna go to that and support it. Yes, I am. And I, I'm going to sit and learn, but they have no idea that what they're getting ready to get here. And they may even stop and think to themselves, is it really that bad still? You think? Maybe you people are just overreacting and you may be a little too sensitive. I don't work with them. <laughs> they, you can stay in the room, but this is a 600 level course. And people of color that walked into this room walked in at the 600 level, having lived in their skin. So I'm not dealing with the person who's going, do you think? I don't have time. Because there's too many people hemorrhaging for me to, to, to even begin to do that. So before I even teach my course, I send 
Uh, and let me introduce my daughter, who's in the audience. Joy, uh, Joy's daughter here is uh, Bahia Overton. Could you please stand, Bahia? Yes. She's a ABD, working on her PhD. Very proud of her. Anyway, she's one of my graduate assistants. <laughs> and before I actually teach my course on post-traumatic, I have my daughter go in and introduce this concept first, just so we can weed out the one-on-ones. Because I'm not going to, you know, the tears, whatever, I can't, no, no, I can't do it. Won't do it, okay? So what ends up happening is I give them the example, I ask them, what they understand about it. Now we can see, she kind of rolls off the tongue. Racism is a system of advantage based on race. Can you see this well though, by the way? Can you see this? Okay, good. So it's a, it's a system of advantage based on race. Rolls off the tongue, pretty straightforward. But people think everybody's on the same page about that. I have never been in the audience, in an audience where people really get that. Ever, no matter how well-educated folks are. So ask, have, have her ask a fundamental question. Do you think people in this audience, do you think you have a grasp on well, let me just say, do you believe that there's something called white racism or white racism? Show of hands. White racism. Now, I want y'all to all turn around. Don't be afraid. There's not going to be no test at the end. How many people believe there's something called white racism? Show of hands. Now, look around the room so everybody can see. And you got folks kind of going. <laughs> okay. All right. Another question. How many people in the room believe there's something called black racism? Show of hands. Okay, look around the room. Watch out, look around. Okay, so now, now, see what I'm saying? We have a fun way. What the heck? Wait, is this a trick? What's she doing? Okay, so. Not a trick. It's pretty straightforward. Okay, so the first column, we're going to talk about white racism because you're going to define it and assess this for yourself. This is why I have my daughter go in. So, white racism, we're going to define that first. I need for you to tell me how white racism adversely impacts the lives of black people as an entire group of people. I'm going to say that again. How is it that white racism adversely impacts the lives of black people in America as an entire group? In what ways? Tell me. Wealth. Economics. Healthcare. Education. Education. Privilege, criminal justice. Okay, are you get, you're kind of getting it? Okay, good. Okay, so now we're gonna talk about, and we can go on. We're gonna talk about black racism. I need you to tell me, listen carefully, how black racism adversely impacts the lives of white people in America as an entire group of people. You see the difference? You've answered your question. There is something called black people hating. They can call your names. I hate you, hate you, hate you. I hate jump up and matter of fact, let's get all 12% of the black folk. Get, I think they say there's 13% of us now. Let's get all 13% of us hating white people. You still get the loan. You still get the house. You still get, are you following me? So you might have black people that hate white people. You may have black people that maybe affect a white person. But racism not only implies I don't like it, but I have the power to impact you as an entire group. That's the difference. Now at this point I have folks going, 
is she trying to say? I'm just telling you what it is. It's not personal, but it is true. Okay. So we have to get, and usually by the next class, we know who's going to stay in the class. See what I'm saying? <laughs> so the very first fundamental contradiction that occurred was the Constitution itself, was a whole notion of freedom and democracy that at the same time coexisted with the genocide of Native Americans, people, you know, Indian people, and the enslavement of African people. I mean, all right, so that was uh, that's an excerpt of Dr. Joy DeGruy, and uh, that's in the video I put together. It's in the article. If you read the article that I wrote, uh, White Racism versus Black Racism, most people are confused about what racism is. Uh, it's in that article, okay, and that's on YouTube. Uh, so go to, go to, uh, go to Network.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. You can read all my articles there. Right on the home page, click on the link, read articles by Michael M. Hotel. And um, you just search for that article, White Racism versus Black Racism. Most people are confused about what racism is. And what I'll do is uh, on the thread here um, of the Facebook Live broadcast, I'll post the link to the article because uh, it's on yourblackworld.net. I got to get my my own website, I got to get my other website back up because I had them all on my platform, my articles, but that website went down. I got to get that back up. Well, we just posted that link there. Okay. So people should understand now the difference because oftentimes when these discussions take place in mainstream media, is never racism is never defined from a historical perspective. We have to be clear about what we're talking about. And this all comes about to preserve genetic white survival on a planet that's less than 10 percent European. We have to be very clear about this. OK, this is all designed to to, to uh, preserve genetic white survival on a planet that's less than 10 percent European. Um, so in the article, I say African-Americans as a group do not control uh enough of anything to negatively negatively impact the lives of europeans as a group or an entire race of people uh to be racist you first have to belong to the race that controls the majority of the advantages and privileges to be racist you first have to con belong to the uh race that controls the majority of the advantages and privileges um and what you're going to find is that the the brunt of racism the brunt of racism is directed toward the male of the species, the male of the race. The brunt of racism is directed toward the male of the race. Now, the race that has the highest concentrations of melanin, they get the they they get the most racism directed towards them. They feel the brunt of it. It's directed toward the males of that species more so. The reason why is because it's the males that impose sex. It's the males that impose sex. This is why when you study the history of lynchings in this country, the majority of African-Americans who were lynched were African-American men. Yes, they're going to have be some African-American women who are lynched, but that's a, this is a very small percentage. The majority were African-American men because it's the male that imposes sex. And when you're trying to preserve genetic white survival and you saw for 800 years, 
these 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 the the Moors intermixing with the European population, darkening the European population. This is why the 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 Portuguese and Spaniards had a darker complexion. This is why the Italians had a darker complexion. This is why the the Sicilians and the and, and those in Crete had a darker complexion, but those in England tended to be whiter because England was further further away from North Africa and the Moors are going in from uh, Morocco, Mauritania, going in from Northwest Africa, things like this. So Spain, Portugal, they're much closer in proximity to Africa. It's right above uh, uh, North Mauritania, Morocco, right above that area. Okay. England is, 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 is further into Europe, further away from. So you're going to see that the complexion in England is whiter. All right. So what, what you're seeing is that racism was also designed to preserve genetic white survival on a planet that's less than 10 percent European, because as Europeans start to circumnavigate the globe and they saw the majority of people on Earth were not European. And as they had sex with these women and saw the offspring was no longer European, they realized they had to put systems in place. OK, to preserve genetic whites, to, to, to preserve genetic white survival. Otherwise, they could be wiped off the face of the earth. OK, so it's important for us to understand this because most of our people don't. And as Dr. Dr. Francis Crest Wilson, who I've interviewed three times, unfortunately, she made a transition January 2nd, 2016, wrote an article about that as well. But you can listen to the interviews I've done with all these scholars. Of We have 749 podcasted episodes. Go to AfricanHistoryNetwork.com, AfricanHistoryNetwork.com. Um, uh, so it's important to understand this. Now, when we deal with white privilege, I, I wrote an article about um, um, a video of Dr. Joy DeGruy. It's called Dr. Joy DeGruy Explains How White, Pri How white Privilege Raised Its Ugly Head in a Trip to the Grocery Store. Dr. Joy DeGruy Explains How White Privilege Raised Its Ugly Head in a Trip to the Grocery Store. Okay. And uh, very quickly in here, when we talk about white privilege, because a lot of Europeans don't want to talk about white privilege and all Europeans don't subscribe to white supremacy. But a lot of them do either consciously or subconsciously. A lot of them do consciously or subconsciously. OK. Um, Wesley College professor Peggy McIntosh explains uh, white privilege and she says, quote, privilege exists when one group has something of value that is denied to others simply because of the groups they belong to rather than because of anything they've done or failed to do. OK, white privilege is basically unearned privileges. This, this is what white privilege is basically unearned privileges. Um, access to privilege doesn't determine one's outcomes, but it is definitely an asset that makes it more likely that whatever talent, ability and aspirations a person with privilege has will result in something positive for them. OK, access to privilege doesn't determine one's outcomes, but it is definitely an asset that makes it more likely that whatever talent, ability and aspirations a person with privilege has will result in something positive for them. OK, so another way to look at white privilege is basically unearned, uh, uh, unearned um, um, benefits. OK, and. White privilege is the byproduct or the uh, the byproduct of white supremacy and racism. So this is why 
oftentimes when you have TV shows and radio programs and they say we need to have a conversation about race. This is why they don't want to have a conversation about racism, because if you talk about racism, you're going to talk about white supremacy and you're going to talk about white privilege. And a lot of times Europeans don't want to deal with white privilege because then when you deal with white privilege, then you have to deal with the history of how they got what they got. OK, and it ain't because they worked hard. I'm not saying you didn't have Europeans who worked hard, but if working hard was the common denominator for success in this country, then African people would be the most successful people in this country because who worked harder than a slave? Who worked harder than somebody uh, on the convict leasing system? Who worked harder than a sharecropper? If 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 hard work was the common denominator for success in this country. No, you so you're dealing with white supremacy and racism. We have to be clear about what it is that we're dealing with. All right. Now, and you know, I was trying to broadcast on Blog Talk at the same time. I don't know what the hell's wrong with Blog Talk. All right. So let's go to some of your comments. We're gonna post a link again. So how, how's everybody doing? How y'all like this information? Y'all learning anything? How you like this information? Uh, we're doing a special, uh, we're going to do a special broad, we're going to do a special session of my online class that I teach ancient, ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We're going to do a special class on, um, uh, Monday, June 5th, um, 7 PM to 8 30 PM. Cause for Friday's class, uh, I had so much information to deal with. I, I didn't get through everything in the two hours. So I told people we would talk about Hannibal Barker because that ties right into white supremacy and racism, how Hannibal was turned into uh, a European. And we, we have uh, a couple other things we'll deal with. So we'll do like an hour and a half. So you can register for the online course. You just post a link here, register here. Ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't, te what they didn't teach you in school. Uh, Joyce Williams, Lorenzo, Raymond, how you all doing? Bruce. Okay. We just post a link. If you need me to post a link again, let me know. Uh, the full course is only $40. It's a six week, 12 hour course. Cause I just expanded it this six weeks instead of five weeks. Uh, you can register for the full course or you can register for the, um, uh, class we did Friday, June 2nd. Uh, and that was uh, $10. And if you register for the class we did Friday, June 2nd, then you um, will automatically be registered for Monday's class. But you can register for the full course for only $40. Plus with the full course, there's uh, about 10 hours of bonus content also. Okay, uh, so I want to get to this other topic here dealing with nooses found in uh, Washington, D.C. Um, okay, Donna says she's turning into a bigot. Uh, don't know why. Uh, ben Gorgi uh, said he loved the video. Dr. Joy DeGruy. Um, okay, Rache uh, said I love all the information. I would definitely pass it on. All right, good. Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Also, okay. All right, now. Uh, so we first heard about. Um, we first heard about nooses at the uh, popping up at the um, at the uh, Smithsonian Institute. Okay, 
Smithsonian Museum, Smithsonian Museum, I should say, African-American uh, Smithsonian Museum. And uh, there were a couple of articles, uh, blackvoices.com had one uh, from uh, May 31st, theroot.com had one also from around that time. Um, blackvoices.com uh, has one news found in African-American History Museum exhibit in DC. News, news found in African American History Museum exhibit in DC. Okay. And what you're dealing with is you're dealing with European, you're dealing with white supremacists being emboldened because of uh, Donald Trump uh, being president. You have them being emboldened, and we see a huge spike in um, hate crimes. We see a huge spike in uh, hate crimes. Okay. So let me go to this here. All right. Um, so for the second time in a week, a noose was found on the grounds of the Smithsonian museum in Washington, DC. When visitors walked into an exhibit at the national museum of African-American history and culture on Wednesday. Um, so, um, that would be Wednesday, uh, May 31st, Wednesday, May 31st, um, they saw a small noose lying on the floor. All right. So this was the, uh, a, this, this was the second time in a few days that a noose was found on the grounds of the, of the new African-American museum, uh, the new African-American Smithsonian museum. Now it had been left, uh, this noose had been left in an exhibit on segregation. Uh, and this was stated by, uh, Linda St. Thomas, who is a spokeswoman for the Smithsonian, um, museum. Okay. Now, and there's another article I wanted to go to also, I'm trying to pull this up as well. All right, here we go. The root.com and USA Today had an article about this as well. Washington Post also. Okay. All right. Now, Two of the visitors who discovered the noose were very upset, said uh, Linda St. Thomas. The gallery was closed pretty quickly and remained closed for about an hour. Um, it is the second time uh, in less than a week that a noose has been found on or around uh, museum grounds on the National Mall. Uh, last week, Friday, um, we saw that. Uh, so last Friday was... Um, Okay, so the previous Friday, um, before the 31st, the previous Friday was uh, May 26. Okay, um, I sure wish they had date these dates. When uh, if you write articles, when you talk about a day, last Friday, whatever, please put the date that you're referring to because two, three weeks from when you're talking about, people have to look at a calendar to understand what you're talking about. Okay, so last Friday, a noose was hanging from a tree outside the Hershorn Museum and Sculpture Garden, uh, Linda St. Thomas said also. All right. Uh, so you have this thing in place. Now, you, you're going to have a there have been a total of five nooses found uh, in D.C. just in the past couple of weeks. All right. So there was an article from um, uh, June 4th, from June 3rd, June 3rd, 
uh, theroot.com, another noose found in the DC area, this time at a construction site. Another noose found in the DC area, this time at a construction site. Okay. So another noose turned up in Washington, DC. Uh, this time police say it was at a house that was under construction in the Southeast part of Washington, DC. This will make at least the fifth time that, uh, a, a noose, this hateful symbol of violence has appeared around the nation's capital recently. Now, according to CNN, uh, officers went to the construction site on Thursday, uh, on Thursday morning and discovered a rope tied in a noose displayed by the front door, according to the police report. The report noted that the property manager said that the noose was not there at the end of the workday uh, the day before. The house, is in, the house in question is not occupied and no arrests have been made. Now, the last incident, this last incident follows uh, reports of two nooses found at the National Museum of African-American History and Culture, uh, one of which was found just uh, last Wednesday in the history gallery of the museums and one found by a security officer on a tree on the museum grounds May 26. All right. Um, American University in Washington, D.C. was also subject to an attack after bananas were found hanging from nooses around campus in early May of 2017 in what campus police called a racially motivated hate crime. The, but the bananas were found around the university's campus the same day that Taylor Dumpson, Taylor Dumpson, D-U-M-P-S-O-N, an African-American woman, uh, started her tenure as the first African-American female president of the university's student govern government body. So she's the first African-American female president of uh, American University student government body. And it just so happens that that same day that she started her tenure as student body president, nooses were found, uh, uh, nooses with bananas hanging from them were found on campus. Now, uh, CNN also noted that a noose was left in the kitchen of the Phi Kappa Tau fraternity house at the University of Maryland back in April of 2017. More recently, a piece of rope was found on a bench at the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Memorial this past Friday, this past Friday, uh, which was June 2nd, okay, uh, 2017, a noose was found at the Martin Luther King uh, Jr. Memorial on the National Mall, okay? And uh, the root.com has an article about this. Another news found by M by, by MLK uh, Merle in uh, DC. Okay. Um, I think that was the article that talked about that. Yeah. Now it is not clear who these cowards are and if they think uh, these outbursts are funny, but the nooses have been widely condemned by local officials. What's interesting is I don't think Donald Trump, has commented on this at all. Correct me if I'm wrong. If he did, post your article. Uh, as of as, as of June 5th, I don't think Donald Trump has commented on this at all. Now, he should know about this because this is taking place in Washington, D.C. Donald Trump should know about this because this is taking place in Washington, D.C. Okay? And he hasn't commented about this at all. I find that very interesting. You know? The, uh, probably if these are white, these, these are Europeans doing this, they probably voted for Donald Trump. 
if they're if they're registered to vote, if they can vote, okay, they probably voted for Donald Trump. All right, now, um, okay, and very quickly, there was an article from USA Today. Also, um, there, there was one article that I saw that talked about the increase in hate crimes. This is very important because we're dealing with a climate because of the uh, uh, election of Donald Trump uh, or Donald Trump becoming uh, president, the first Russian president of the United States. You, you, you have white supremacists who are now emboldened to be more open with what they're doing. Okay. Uh, the article from the Washington Post uh, our ugly racisms, our ugly racisms, newest artifact, the noose left at the African-American Museum. Our ugly racisms, newest artifact, the noose left at the African-American Museum. OK, this is from uh, June 1st, 2017, written by Pat Patula uh, Dvorak, Dvorak. OK, and in the article, she talks about how. Um, uh, this was a horrible act. Uh, it says this was a horrible act, but a stark reminder of why our work is so important. Uh, Lonnie Bunch, who is the founding director of the um, uh, African American Smithsonian Museum, was interviewed. Okay, he said that um, uh, quote the noose has long represented a deplorable act of cowardice and depravity, a symbol of extreme violence for African Americans. Today's incident is a painful reminder of the challenges that African-Americans continue to face. OK, and this was, I think, referring to the first noose. Um, uh, this is going back to um, Wednesday, uh, May 31st. All right. So he says this was a horrible act, but a stark reminder of why our work is so important. So the article goes on to say, and that's especially true in Trump's America, where strident white nationalism, a movement that wants to achieve a whites only state is on the rise. The Southern Poverty Law Center has recorded about 1300 incidents uh, of, of, of hate crimes and things like this racial incidents since the 2016 election, since November 8, 2016. And uh, these are happening almost every day all over the country. Three people have been stabbed to death in the past two weeks by alleged white supremacists, two men defending teenage girls on a train in Portland, Oregon. And then also at, uh, Richard Collins, the uh, third African-American Boys State University student uh, who was out with friends on the University of Maryland uh, College Park campus. He you know he was stabbed to death as well. OK, so check out this article. Um, WashingtonPost.com, uh, our ugly racism's newest artifact, the noose left at the African American Museum. Okay, we'll post the link. Uh, we'll post the link right here. All right, so share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in uh, as well. Joyce on Facebook said, "We don't need to hate anyone. Why should we adopt the white man's ignorance? Uh, when you meet a fool, leave him." or her as they are. Uh, yeah, this is not about hating anybody. This is about self-preservation, however, and understanding white supremacy and racism, what it is and how it works. 
we have to understand how it manifests itself throughout the nine areas of human activity, economics, education, entertainment, labor, law, politics, religion, sex, and war for the purpose of preserving genetic white survival on a planet that's less than 10% European. Emmanuel said other museums all have advanced video surveillance systems. Why don't they have cameras there? I don't know if they have cameras or don't have cameras. Um, I, I don't know if they, I don't know if they have cameras or don't have cameras. I don't know if they have uh, reviewed video and turn it over to the police and they just aren't saying they have reviewed video. I don't know. Okay. So I, I don't know for certain that they don't have cameras. I can't state that. All right. Now, uh, let's go to some more of your comments here uh, quickly. Then I want to get into, I'm going to do a quick overview of uh, the online class that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach them in school. And then also um, uh, we're going to talk some about the TV show um, Underground was canceled. A lot of people upset about the TV show Underground. I deal with the uh, uh, problem with slave movies and slave themed TV shows, problem with slave movies, slave slave themed TV shows, etc. OK, I deal with this uh, in, in the course and a lot of other things. All right. And if you miss any of this, you can go back and watch it. Uh, you can go back and watch it. We have it here on Facebook. We'll probably put this on YouTube also uh, at our YouTube channel. All right. Now. Okay. So let's continue here. Uh Tia Randolph on Facebook said, fear is the goal, the fear that lynching will return and never stop. Do you think uh, giving it press is a help or giving uh, the group doing it what they want? Uh, no, we have to be aware. A lot of our people are not aware that this is going on. If you're not aware of it, you can't fight against it and protect yourself. Okay. If you're not aware that it takes place, you can't fight against it and protect itself protect yourself a lot of people a lot of our people uh don't know that this is going on they don't know about these nooses found in the washington dc area so this is this is extremely important um okay okay rache said i love the information i would definitely pass it on brother all right um avion what is it that you what is it that you're asking that i referenced okay so let's continue here all right so um you know in the let me bring this up here in the online course that i teach ancient kemet the moors and the ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade what they didn't teach you in school we deal with thousands of years of African history and African-American history. And we deal, when we deal with the transatlantic slave trade, we can't deal with it episodically as an episode in history. We have to deal with it chronologically, okay? And this is one of the things we deal with. We deal with it chronologically. The transatlantic slave trade did not happen in a vacuum. It was the result of a sequence of historical events that took place and they lead up to the transatlantic slave trade happening, okay? And, and first of all, we deal 
with uh, the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years, okay? Going back at least 51,700 years. Uh, if we look at the um, work from Dr. David M. Hotep, uh, the first Americans were Africans, documented evidence. Um, if you don't have this book, you definitely want to get it. The first Americans were Africans, documented evidence. Dr. David M. Hotep um, deals with the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago, at least 51,700 years ago. Dr. Albert Goodyear, who's an archaeologist at the University of South Carolina, uh, made a major discovery in 2004, okay, uh, in Allendale County, South Carolina. On page 14 of his book, Dr. David M. Hotep deals with this. Um, they, this is what they found at a campsite in Allendale County, South Carolina. They found evidence of an African presence that dates back 51,700 years ago. They found artifacts, architecture, campsites, carvings, Egyptian writings, footprints and lava, genetic M174D haploid groups dealing with DNA and genetics, linguistics, paintings, skulls, skeletons, structures, and tools. Okay all fairly documenting an African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years. If you look at this article here that most people are not familiar with, November 18th, 2004, ScienceDaily.com, which is a scientific journal, scientific website, ScienceDaily.com. This deals with uh, an African presence going back um, 50,000, uh, at least 50,000 years ago. Here's a synopsis of this article. Name of the article is new evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. New evidence puts man in North America 50,000 years ago. Here's what the article said. Now, this is from 13 years ago. Radiocarbon tests of carbonized plant remains where artifacts were unearthed last May along the Savannah River in Allendale County by University of South Carolina archaeologist Dr. Albert Goodyear indicate that the sediments containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. Okay. Containing these artifacts are at least 50,000 years old, meaning that humans inhabited North America long before the last ice age. All right. Now, a lot of our people don't know this. Now, these were African people. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet. They come from Southern Africa. The Khoisan are the ancestors to the Ainu and the Twa. The Twa in archaeology and anthropology are derisively called pygmies. Okay. So when um, you read Dr. David M. Hotep's book, The First Americans Were Africans Documented Evidence, he talks about the Khoisan in there. The Khoisan have the oldest DNA on the planet and they go all around the world also. All right. So when we when I teach this course, we deal with history chronologically. We deal with the African presence in this country going back at least 51,700 years ago. We deal with ancient Kemet and Ta-Nehisi, Nubia, Abyssinia, Ethiopia, or Kush, the region called Kush. We deal with um, Africans coming to this land as well. We deal with uh, also the Folsom people. We talk some about the Folsom people. Folsom, Arizona is named after them. They come here going back about 15,000, 16,000 years ago. But indigenous African people who are already here and you have mounds, you have the pyramid mounds that were built you know, about a million mounds in uh, North America built by these African people. Um, 
you have Asians who come here around uh, 3000 BC and the uh, Africans who are already here and the Asians, they're going to intermix and their offspring are, are, are who we call Native Americans. Their offspring are who we call Native Americans. OK, and this is why and, and what's going to happen is that a lot of um, a lot of uh, indigenous African groups that were already here, a lot of them are going to get reclassified by European settlers as Native Americans. So if you don't know what you're looking for, then you don't you don't understand this. OK, uh, one of them were the Algonquins. Uh, Dr. David M. Hotep, he talks about the Algonquins um, in his book. And, and one of the things he talks about in his book, First Americans Were Africans, Documented Evidence, is one of the books we use in the course also. You don't have to buy any of these books to understand what we're talking about, but it's good for reference. We use these for reference so you understand where this information is coming from. So um, one of the things he talks about in here is how Captain John Smith in Jamestown, Virginia, Captain John Smith uh, said he was captured by a group of black Indians. Okay. And if we go to this here, see if I can find it here. I thought I had it bookmarked. Um, see, this is why when I deal with the transatlantic slave trade, we, we don't deal with it episodically. You can't talk about the transatlantic slave trade without dealing with the 800 year occupation of Europe by the advocates known as the Moors. And this is why I have a problem with the slave themed TV shows and slave themed movies, because they don't ever talk about the African presence in this country going back at least 50, 51,700 years ago. And they don't deal with the fact that this was our land stolen from us. This was our land stolen from us. We, we were here before Europeans came into existence. Yeah, this is live. Who asked is this live? This is live. Anthony Adams, this is live. Okay, Anthony, we do some rebroadcast because there's a lot of work to do these broadcasts. People don't understand, but this is live. So we got Joyce Williams. Uh, Paul Wallace said, love the history lesson. My children can't believe it. Tell them history is often hidden. Anthony Adams asks, is this live or Memorex? This is live. Now we're going to rebroadcast this. But even when we when, even when we do when I do my rebroadcast, I'm I'm there, you know, and I'm posting comments so you can still ask questions. OK, so page um, 65 of the first Americans were Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. Page 65. We're going to go to this here. Um, it deals with Captain John Smith and black Indians. Captain John Smith and black Indians. Okay. So how y'all like this information? How y'all like this information? If uh, you like this information, you want to learn more, you can register for the online class that I teach ancient Kemet, the Moors and the Ma'afa understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school, understanding the transatlantic slave trade, what they didn't teach you in school. We posted the link there. As soon as you register, you can watch the first four weeks of class is about eight, Nine, nine or ten hours there you can watch then we have about ten hours of bonus content um with uh, the class normally meets on friday 7 p.m to 9 p.m eastern standard time uh all the sessions are recorded so if you miss any of it doesn't matter it's fine all the sessions are recorded you can go back and watch it over and over again last friday's course because i, I had to deal with talk about so much 
we had to cover so much information and we also dealt with the tv show underground being canceled which we're going to talk about here in a few minutes uh tv show underground on wgn which dealt with the underground railroad and slavery and things like this you can watch africans run for their lives each year from europeans and try to fight to be treated as human beings and to me, I just don't think that's entertainment. I'm sorry. I've been, I've been studying African history and culture, African-American history, entrepreneurship, economic empowerment for 25 years. To me, that I, don't, I can't sit there and watch that each week. I can't do that. No. Um, so I have to do a, I have to do a special session um, Monday, June 5th, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. because there was information we couldn't get to Friday. Okay. So as soon as you register for the class, you'll be able to watch the uh, previous weeks and you'll be automatically registered for uh, Monday's class also. OK. Um, uh, Zara Berry said, yes, uh, Abu Bakari II was here before Europeans. Well, Abu Bakari II goes into South America in 1312 A.D., South America, 1312 A.D. OK. Um, very quickly here, on page 65 of the first Americans were Africans documented evidence. Um, he talks about DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid. That's what DNA stands for, deoxyribonucleic acid. He talks about the, the short statured um, uh, Fuginians of Tierra del Fuego, of, of, of Fuegians of Tierra del Fuego. Tierra del Fuego is the southern tip of South America the southern tip of South America. And there were Africans there uh, as well, going back tens of thousands of years, okay? Uh, and he says that uh, these African people populated most of South America at one time, previously found all over the Americas. They were eventually pushed down to the most southern tip of South America. Quote, in summary, the results obtained using uh, uh, morpho morphological, morphological, M-O-R-P-H-O, L-O-G-I-C-A-L, morphological and molecular data find that the uh, uh, Fuegian populations are distinct from the rest of Amerins or, or American Indians, Amerins, A-M-R-I-N-D-S, end quote. To sum it all up, Clyde Winters, he's referring to Clyde Winters, author and historian, uh, quote, researchers believe the Fuegians are the remnants of the earliest settlers of the new world. The Fuegians have a different genetic makeup than others. South America's Fuegians and the African Khoisan carry the same M174 gene related to the D haploid group. The Fuegians and the African Khoisan carry the same M174 gene related to the D haploid group. Therefore, all the claims that the first Americans came from Asia, Australia, Melanesia, or anywhere else but Africa are not backed up by hard evidence. Okay. See, proper documentation ends all conversation. Proper documentation ends all conversation. Um, the Moors were Arabs. Arab is a tricky term. Uh, the Moors in general were black African people. The Moors in general were black African people. All Arabs were not to be Arab, you had to have African blood, but not all Arabs were classified as Moors. And actually, if you read Golden Age of the Moor, edited by Dr. Ivan Van Sertima, you read the essay by Dr. Jose Pimenta Bay, um, the Arabs referred to the Moors as Berbers. 
B-E-R-B-E-R-S. Arabs referred to the Moors as Berbers. Arabs were not necessarily Moors. Okay, Arab and Moor are not the same thing, no. Okay, so um, when he deals with Captain John Smith, Captain John Smith and Black Indians, page 65 of um, uh, page 65 of the first Americans were Africans documented evidence. This is why I have a problem with the slave themed movies and slave themed TV shows, because this type of information is not dealt with. In 1607, the Englishman, Captain John Smith, built the first permanent Caucasian settlement or European settlement in North America in Jamestown, Virginia. While building the settlement, um, Smith, now this is in modern times. We know the Vikings, Elif Erikson and things like this. We know the Vikings are going to be in North, North America. They're going to be in Greenland and Newfoundland, things like this. But we're talking about that's, that's 1000 AD around that time. We're talking about dealing with the English colonies. We know that the Spanish are going to be in the area we call the United States in the 1500s because the Spanish are taking Africans into the territory we today call South Carolina in the 1520s. They're taking enslaved Africans into South Carolina, what, to, what today we call South Carolina, in that area in the 1520s. This is almost 100 years before Jamestown, Virginia, about 100 years before August 20th, 1619, when we were told that the first Africans came to this land, but they were already in the English colonies. They were already all throughout this land. Okay. So while building the settlement, Captain John Smith made contact with the Powhatan tribe, P-O-W-H-A-T-A-N, the Powhatan tribe. Okay. The Powhatan tribe. Uh, the Powhatans were part of the Algonquin speakers who were the largest group of Indians in Virginia as late as the time Captain John Smith arrived. Now, the Algonquins are African, were African people also, but they were classified as Native Americans. There were more than one. There were more than 10,000 Algonquin in Virginia alone, uh, alone before the colonists arrived. There were more than 10,000 Algonquin in Virginia alone before the colonists arrived. Quote, Europeans called the Delaware Indians redskins because of their reddish natural complexion and the vermilion makeup they were fond of and decorated their bodies. End quote. Therefore, they were unfortunately called redskins and sometimes called red devils by the European settlers, also referring to their skin tone. In 1607 A.D. or Common Era, Captain John Smith described the chief of the Powhatans, uh, uh, the chief of the Powhatans, uh, the Powhatan Indian tribe. He said, quote, Powhatan more like a devil than a man with some 200 more as black as himself. M.O.R.E. Powhatan more like a devil than a man with some 200 more as black as himself. When Captain John Smith described the chief indirectly saying his braids were as black as he was, it is logical to assume that he too was black. When Captain John Smith described the Powhatan as devils and black, he was referring to skin tone. Clyde Winters agrees saying, quote, early Americans would certainly be able to tell the difference between paint and complexion. In any case, 
whether the Powhatans were black at that at that late date or not does not change the fact that the first Americans were Africans. These first Americans remained black complexion until 3000 BC when the first Asians entered and began to mix blood with the proto-American Africans. But you're going to have some Africans that that still stay black African because not all of them that still stay black is not all of them intermixed with Asians. OK, we pay 65 and 66 of the first Americans were Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotel. OK, now, Anthony on Facebook said uh, my biggest issue is preserving the black family. That's a huge portion of our community involved in destroying black love and promoting swirling. Well, first, we have to understand our history. Before you before you deal with preserving something, you have to understand the value of what it is you're trying to preserve. You only preserve something that you perceive has value. This is why people walk by pennies laying on the ground and don't pick them up because they don't perceive pennies ha to have value. But they'll pick up a dollar bill. And if there's a hundred dollar bill on the ground, there may be a fight because they perceive the hundred dollar bill has value. OK. They don't perceive the penny has value. So most people walk by a penny, don't pick it up. So before you do it, before we have to understand why something has to, has to be preserved or deal with preserving something, you, we first have to understand the value that the thing has that you're trying to preserve. To understand that value, you have to understand the history. Okay. Your thoughts create feelings, your feelings create actions and behaviors, your actions and behaviors create results. And what you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you do for yourself, what you do to yourself and what you allow other people to do to you is based upon what you think about yourself. What you think about yourself is based upon what you have been taught about yourself. What you have been taught about yourself is based upon everything you've read, heard and seen about yourself. OK. All right. How's everybody doing? Share this broadcast on your own Facebook page. Invite your friends to tune in. Who needs me to post the link again so you can register for our online class? We're teaching the session on Monday, June 5th, uh, uh, this evening, actually, um, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m. Classes, Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Ancient Kemet, the Moors, and the Ma'afa, Understanding the Transatlantic Slave Trade, what they didn't teach you in school. Okay. Um, so if you need me to post a link for that course again, so you could register, uh, let me know. We'll post it. Full course is only $40 It's a six is a, it's a six week, 12 hour course normally meets on Fridays, but I have to do this session on Monday because, um, this past Friday we had so much to cover. I couldn't get everything, um, dealt with cause we had to talk about Hannibal Barker and we talk about some, uh, talk about some other things also, um, for for monday class all the sessions are recorded if you miss anything you can go back and watch it over and over again all the sessions are recorded uh so as soon as you register you can watch uh, the first four weeks of class and the information is going to blow you blow you away we deal with uh thousands of years of african history we deal with the transatlantic slave trade chronologically okay uh so you you can't deal with it as an episode in history you have to deal with uh, thousands of years of history that lead up to it happening deal with the fact that the African people were here in this land we call the United States of America tens of thousands of years uh, before Europeans even got here okay and before Native Americans came into existence the people who we call Native Americans are the offspring of an intermixing of Africans um, uh, who were already here and uh, Europeans who come here 
um, uh, and, and, and I'm sorry, Asians who come here uh, in 3000, um, around 3000 BC. Okay. All right. So the TV show Underground was canceled. It was recently, this past week, it was announced that the TV show Underground was canceled. We know W. Uh, we know uh, Los Angeles Times had an article. Um, Los Angeles Times had an article about this. Uh, May 30th, WGN America cancels Underground, but will it really be the end? Okay. And uh, the TV show Underground uh, uh, is uh, centered around the Underground Railroad. Uh, which started in the 1830s and actually around right around 1830 the underground railroad starts and this was a uh a a connection of uh routes and secret passages things like this that african people used to escape to freedom from the south through the north the majority of it is going to be in northern states and they would go uh through the north uh through uh uh, oftentimes Detroit into Canada. Okay. Okay. So um, the, the drama is from creators, Misha Green and Joe uh, Pekoski. And I think John Legend was one of the creators also. I know he's an executive producer, um, but the, the, this is a, the last original scripted um, programming that WGN has. Now, the show was not canceled because of ratings. The show was canceled because Sinclair Broadcasting Group Inc. Uh, purchased uh, Tribune Media for $3.9 billion. Tribune Media for $3.9 billion. And uh, Tribune Media was the parent company of WGN. Sinclair Broadcasting Group uh, purchased more than 200 local TV stations as well as WGN America. Now, um, Peter Kern, who's the president and CEO of Tribune Media, Peter Kern, who's the president and CEO of Tribune Media, said that uh, in a statement, he said, quote, as WGN America evolves and broadens the scope and scale of its portfolio of series, we recently announced that uh, resources will will be reallocated to a new strategy to increase our relevance with the rapidly changing uh television landscape okay the rapidly changing television landscape um he goes on to say despite underground being a terrific and important series it no longer fits with our new direction and we have reached the difficult decision not to renew it for a third season now the third season from my understanding has already been shot um don't know if they're going to do a wrap-up show or what i'm not sure we know it's been canceled but don't know if they'll do a two-hour wrap-up show or one-hour wrap-up show what have you now the studio that produces the tv show underground is sony pictures television sony pictures television okay that's the studio that actually produces the show all right now um and it said that they're trying to find a new home for it as well as John Legend. They're trying to find a new home uh, for the TV show uh, Underground. All right. Now, Journey Smollier Bell and uh, Aisha Hines star in the uh, uh, star in the TV show uh, Underground. And um, uh, Aisha Hines plays the part of uh, Harriet Tubman. OK, now 
uh, people who know me, they've seen some of my presentations before. They've heard me when I guest host, uh, used to guest host the Roland Martin radio show. When Roland Martin used to do his radio show, they know that I'm not a fan of slave themed TV shows or slave themed movies. Okay. I have a real, I have a real problem with the slave theme, uh, uh, movies and TV shows. Okay. And it's for some very good reasons. All right. Now, uh, and one of the reasons why is because they help perpetuate the 1619 myth, the 1619 myth, the myth that uh, the history of African people starts in this country, uh, August 20th, 1619. And that's just not true. OK, that's just not true. And unfortunately, uh, many of our many, many of our people don't know this. And uh, this type of these type of shows, even though. Uh, they mean well, okay. Even though they mean well, uh, and this is one of the problems I had with the remake of Roots, okay. They don't deal with this type of information. All right. So what it does is it reinforces the uh, it re it, it reinforces the misinformation that the history of our people starts in this country, August twentieth, sixteen nineteen, uh, conquered conquered by Europeans in shackles and in chains. And what this tends to do is this tends to um, also, um, it has a psychological impact, it has a psychological effect uh, on us as well, okay? And it oftentimes causes uh, our people to look at themselves as being inferior, okay? Because they think the history of our people starts in this country conquered by Europeans. And that's just not true. This was our land stolen from us. When you read uh, the first Americans were Africans documented evidence by Dr. David M. Hotep and, and other books, uh, you'll find that one of the names of this land was called Turtle Island. Okay. We were here before Native Americans came into existence. We were here actually before Europeans came into existence also. Okay. So, um, This is why this type of information is so important. All right, now let me go to, uh, let me bring this up. Okay, here we go. Let's bring the screen share back up. And I know some of the people watch the TV show Empire. I deal with, um, as some people try to make the comparison to Jews and Holocaust films and things like this. Well, there's a big difference. First of all, the oppression of Jews has, has ended. For the most part, the oppression of Jews has ended. The oppression of African people never ended in this country. The oppression of African people in this country never ended. Okay, so uh, that's not a uh, that's not an accurate comparison. All right, here, just a second. I'm trying to move this to the next screen. Okay. All right. So that's not even an accurate comparison. Uh, okay, so John Legend is a uh, creator of the series also. The Root.com had an article from uh, uh, last week, Tuesday. Underground is canceled after just two seasons. Underground is canceled after just two seasons. Now, John Legend um, tweeted about this, or he posted on social media. He said they're trying to find a new home. Some people recommended the own network, things like this. Um, but John Legend, John Legend said that... Um, uh, first of all, he's an executive producer of the show. Uh, he tweeted about the cancellation 
uh, last week, Tuesday, saying that WGN had been bought by a new company and was going in a different direction, but that Underground would find a new home. He said, quote, content wins. We're not reliant on a particular network to make great content. We're so proud of our show and the audience that support it. Uh, be wary of Sinclair, Sinclair Broadcasting Group, Inc. He said uh, they're trying to make local stations mini Fox Newses, uh, by, uh, but more so, but more to the right. OK, so Sinclair is a, uh, a, a Sinclair Broadcasting Group is a conservative media network, is a conservative media company, conservative media network. OK, and what he's saying is, is that they're trying to uh, have all these over 200 radio stations that uh, 200 TV stations that are moving more to the right, which is not good news for African-Americans, because see, as Malcolm X said, he said the media is the most powerful entity on Earth. The media has the ability to make the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. The media is the most powerful entity on earth. They have the ability to make the innocent guilty and the guilty innocent. And that's power because they control the minds of the masses. All right. So this is why having control of African-American media is so important. So we can uh, inform our people, get information out, but also it's important to have African-Americans in white controlled media as well on CNN, MSNBC, things like this, because you need people to get the truth out about African-American issues because the, 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 the TV shows that people watch, the news program, especially cable news, impacts how people think, feel, act, and behave. It impacts how people vote. It impacts policies they support, candidates they support, et cetera. And, and Donald Trump would not have won if it had not been for the Fox News Network. The Fox News Network was instrumental in, in helping Donald Trump win. Voter suppression played a huge part. Russian hacking, FBI Director James Comey um, bringing up Hillary Clinton's emails 11 days before the election. That played a part. But the Fox News Network was huge. OK. And the reason why was because um that was the number one network that uh, most of Donald Trump supporters got their um, news from. OK. And there was a study um, that came out that talked about this also. Uh, Salon uh, was Salon.com had this article. Um, this dealt with how Fox News helped Donald Trump uh, voters get their news, how Fox News helped Donald Trump, how Fox News helped Donald. Trump's voters got their news primarily from Fox. Okay. How many people have read this article? This is extremely important for you, for you to understand the propaganda of the media and why media is so important. I've been studying media for 25 years. Okay. How Fox news helped Donald Trump's voters got their news primarily from Fox. Let me see how we on time. Okay. We have 10 minutes left in this broadcast. Uh, a new poll. Now this, this article is from um, January 19th, 2017, January 19th, 2017. A new poll found that while Donald Trump voters overwhelmingly preferred Fox News over other media sources, Clinton voters received their information from a wide range of sources. So Fox, the Fox News Network, the cable news network, that is a white supremacist network. OK, that's 
totally anti-African, totally anti-African-American. It's against Black Lives Matter. They're, they're a propaganda network. Founded by Roger Ailes, who just died a couple months ago, thank God, 77 years old. Roger Ailes helped Richard Nixon get elected in 1968. Roger Ailes was a uh, advisor, campaign advisor to Richard Nixon. And Roger Ailes uh, was also, he's all, he was also a friend of Donald Trump and a campaign advisor either formally or informally to Donald Trump as well, okay? So um, uh, among Americans who say they voted for Donald Trump, 40% cited Fox News as their main news outlet, according to a Pew Research survey released on Wednesday. Every other outlet was in single digits. CNN, uh, subject of Donald Trump's Twitter uh, uh, screeds, influenced 8% of Donald Trump's voters, Facebook, influenced seven percent of his voters nbc had six percent local television stations had five percent abc cbs and local radio tied at three percent but the fox news network uh, uh 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 americans who voted for donald trump 40 percent cited fox news as their main news outlet so 40 percent of Donald Trump supporters said that the Fox News network was their main news outlet, which is why some of why most of them sound so ignorant because they're being fed a bunch of lies from Fox News and they don't go fact check this information. This is why they sound so ignorant, many of them. Okay, so we just posted that article, check that out. All right, okay, now, uh, okay, so let's continue here. So, Stephen Biko, one of our great South African freedom fighters, he said that. Um, the most potent weapon in the hands of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. The most potent weapon in the hand of the oppressor is the mind of the oppressed. All right. Now, I, I've talked about the uh, problem with slave themed movies in the past. And I, and um, yes, slavery is part of our history, but it's not the only part of our history. And what happens is when you have like the remake of Roots, when you have the uh, seven slave themed movies that 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 uh came out in 2013, like 12 years of slave, the African presence in this country prior to the uh, transatlantic slave trade is never dealt with, okay? So the fundamental problem, you know, in, in my notes here, I say the fundamental problem that I have with slave movies and slave TV shows is that the history of African people in the United States of America did not start in a conquered state with us in bondage. This was our land called Turtle Island by some and 2.3 billion acres of land was stolen from indigenous African people and Native Americans. Yes, slavery happened, but what about the 50 years of history of African people being in the land we call the United States of America prior to 1619 or prior to uh, the 1520s for that matter when the Spanish are taking uh, Africans into the area we call South Carolina? Where are the movies and TV shows about that history? Maybe they keep showing slave movies to keep um, uh, African-Americans operating within the circumference of a slave mentality, because you have to understand power is the ability to define and shape reality and have other people accept your definition of reality as if it were their own. What happens when the first people on Earth, the first people in this land are lied to by the powers that be and taught that they were originally brought here as enslaved African people? They don't know that this was their land stolen from them. They are the indigenous people of this land. Okay, yes, the transatlantic slave trade happened, but there were there were millions of African people already here in, in North, Central, and South America, but but especially 
in the land we call the United States of America. There were already millions of us here before the transatlantic slave trade started. Slavery is usually dealt with in these movies episodically and not chronologically. The problem is that is that they are talking about slavery, but it's the way that the the problem is not that they are talking about slavery, but it's the way that is being uh, presented to the exclusion of the fact that the first Americans were African people. And, it, it, you know, it, I, I do a series called uh, Empire Strikes Black, the propaganda of the media, as well as the media's deliberate destruction of the African-American family. And uh, I, I deal with how, because uh, I've been studying media for 25 years and uh, negative stereotypes and the history of African-American media also. Uh, I've been studying. And usually what you find is oftentimes uh, African-American movies that get critical acclaim. Whether it's 12 Years a Slave, The Help with the Viola Davis and Octavia Spencer, The Butler, Precious, Training Day, Hustle and Flow. You're either playing a slave, a servant or a stereotype oftentimes. Now, these are fantastic actors and actresses. These are fantastic actresses and actresses, not taking anything away from their ability, but understanding Hollywood or Hollyweird, as some people call it, and, and understanding white supremacy. You're usually either paying, playing a slave, a servant or a stereotype. And these types of movies are designed to condition the way people think, feel, act and behave because your thoughts create feelings. Your feelings create actions and behaviors. Your actions and behaviors create results. And yes, slavery is part of our history, but African people have been here at least 51,700 years. Um, when you keep showing images of African people in an enslaved state being controlled by Europeans, beaten, raped, killed, etc., you are attacking the subconscious of African people because you want to keep them mentally enslaved. It's also a tacit way to traumatize us. Even though they show African people fighting against this oppression, they're still in an enslaved state. The majority of them that are depicted in these movies are still in an enslaved state, subservient to Europeans. Okay, and this is a covert way of 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 traumatizing and attacking the subconscious of African people. Notice there's no weekly TV show about the Holocaust. So you can see Jews being tormented and killed by Germans. There's no weekly TV show about the Holocaust. Why? Because because Jews know in the hell they would tolerate something like that. So I'm not against a documentary about slavery. If, if, if we want to tell this story, it, it should be in documentary form so we can deal with the history, because with underground, you're dealing with fiction interwoven into historical events. Uh, it, 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 it's, it, it's a historical background. and You're dealing with fiction surrounding that. It's better told in the documentary form, aired on PBS, aired on History Channel, whatever it is, just like they aired uh, um, Roots, the remake on multiple channels. Right. To get the history correct. Uh, OK, so we deal with that. And I, I did a broadcast a couple of days ago. You can check that out as well. Um, and when you register for the course, we have that broadcast. I did a couple of days ago dealing where I go in depth dealing with the TV show uh, Underground. Uh, that's in the bonus content. And this this broadcast will be in the bonus content also. All right. Let me see how much time we have. Oh, we got a couple minutes here. Um, so. Some of the some of the things we deal with. Uh, 
in the class. Now, once again, you can register for the online class. We'll post the link again here. Uh, register for the online class. Uh, we'll post the link here. Uh, we're going to do a special broadcast. Uh, we'll do a special broadcast on uh, Monday, June 5th. Um, what time? 7 p.m. to um, 7 p.m. to 8.30 p.m., okay? And as soon as you register, you can watch the previous four uh, previous four weeks of content. Um, all the sessions are recorded live. You can go back and watch them over and over again. All the sessions are recorded. You can go back and watch them over and over again. Okay. Hopefully you like this information. Um, I'm Michael M. Hotep, founder of the African History Network. And let's see here. Uh, this broadcast is about to end. So I'll be around still for a couple minutes here. But just some of the uh, quickly, some of the things we deal with in the class. We do what was the transatlantic slave trade? We deal with the African presence going back tens of thousands of years ago. Uh, we deal with um, what role did Christopher Columbus play? Christopher Columbus is critical in the transatlantic slave trade. We deal with that as well.